Micah chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 6, and we're going to go all the way through chapter 5, verse 5. So this is the word of the Lord, and it says, In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted. And the lame I will make the remnant and those who are cast off a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. And you, O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you it shall come, the former dominion shall come, kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. Now why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in you? Has your counselor perished? That pain seized you like a woman in labor? Writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. For now you shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country. You shall go to Babylon. There you shall be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. Now many nations are assembled against you, saying, Let her be defiled, and let our gaze, our eyes gaze upon Zion. But they don't know the thoughts of the Lord. They don't understand his plan, that he has gathered them as sheaves to the threshing floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make your horn iron, and I will make your hooves bronze, and you shall beat in pieces many peoples, and shall devote their gain to the Lord." Their wealth to the Lord of the whole earth. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us with the rod. They strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days, Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And he shall be their peace. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. Lord, the hope that you have made promises that you're going to keep, that you have a great plan for us in Jesus Christ, a plan to bring the nations to faith in Jesus. We thank you for Shabazz, our brother who is here today. Would you bless him and his ministry there in raising up leaders, men and women, to take the gospel to their brother, to their fellow people in Pakistan. Lord, we just pray that you would help them, Lord, to to know the hope to which you've called them, Lord. That you would give them boldness as they seek to declare the good news of Jesus. We just pray that you would bless their ministry, bless that school, and Lord, help them as they seek to make Jesus known. And so, God, as we come now to your word, would you bless us as we seek to, God, hear what you have to say to us? God, would you bless us as we seek to Lord, know you more and to to hear what you have to say to us about the greatness of Jesus Christ. God, we pray that you would speak to us in Jesus' name just now. Amen. So what's wrong with the world? And who can fix it? What's wrong with the world that we live in and who can fix it? You know, if I were to ask 10 of you today that question, I would probably get 12 different answers. 
of what's wrong with the world and who can fix it. I mean, I think we'd all admit that there's something terribly wrong with the world, right? I hope we would admit that. And I think we all would admit that we desperately need someone to fix it. But it's not exactly clear what the problem is and who can fix it. Some would say that the answer to that question is, is nationalism. We just need to spread democracy around the whole world. Or we need to get America and the Israel back on top of the nations. We need better governments for a better world. Others would see, say that the problem is social justice. We need to get rid of social oppression and injustice. Some say we need to defund the police. Others say, no, we need more funding for the police. Some say we need to get Congress to pass the Equity Act. Whatever the case is, social justice is how we fix the world. Others would say it's politics is how we fix the world. We need our party to be the one that's in power. We need our laws and our policies and our platforms promoted in our nation. We need our guy to be in the White House. That's how we fix this world. Others would say it's not about any of that stuff. It's about self-fulfillment. We just all need to go to therapy, and we all need to love ourselves more, and we need to be healthy and, and happy in individuals. Now, none of these things is necessarily bad. I mean, government's a good gift from God. Justice was actually God's idea in the first place. Politics can be good and can do good things in our country. And being healthy and happy is, is good for us. But, you see, none of these things can really fix what's wrong with the world. I mean, if they could, they, they would have done it by now, right? And so our greatest problem is, is none of those things. Our greatest problem is that we've rebelled against the rule of heaven. And our only hope is that a king from heaven might come and redeem and rescue us. See, we've come to the book of Micah again, and, and Micah is looking forward to the coming of a great king. Micah sees the, the promises of this king. He sees God's great plan for a king. He sees God's desire to protect his people, and he sees peace coming down from heaven in this king. You see, Micah sees it all coming from King Jesus. Today, my, my goal for us, we're going to summarize the rest of chapter 4, and we're going to focus in on verses 2 through 5 of chapter 5. But my goal for us is to look at the book of Micah and to see King Jesus. God is calling us today to look to King Jesus as the only one who can fix all that is wrong with this world. So let's look to the text and see first that Jesus is the king of God's promise. He's the king of God's promise. So we, we just finished at the beginning of chapter 4 this beautiful passage about the hope of a new Jerusalem. And Micah now is going to tell us how that new Jerusalem is going to become a reality. He says in verse 6, God's people have become lame and afflicted. They're cut down and cast away. But God is going to do something about it. And, and that's what verses 6 through 13 are about in the rest of chapter 4. He says he's going, God's going to restore his people. He's going to reign over Zion again. He's going to rescue Israel from exile and from destruction. He's going to give them victory over their enemies. But how is God going to do that? God's going to do all of this by giving his people a king. Look at chapter two, or sorry, chapter five, verse two. Micah says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, 
From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. Notice there is a king who will come. And notice where he comes from, from Bethlehem. It's the little town that's just south of Jerusalem. Micah says the town is so small, it doesn't even make it on the map. Like when they map out the clans of Israel, Bethlehem doesn't even make it on the map. So it would seem ridiculous that a king for Israel, really a king for all the nations, would come from such a small town. But don't we remember that there was another king who came from Bethlehem? Yeah, it was King David, the greatest king that Israel had ever known. And so Micah says there's going to be a new David who comes again from the little town of Bethlehem. But notice in verse 2 why this king comes. Micah says his coming is from old, from ancient of days. What does that mean? Well, Micah is looking back about 300 years to a promise. A promise that God made to King David. An amazing promise that God would one day give him a son who would sit on the throne of God's kingdom forever. I mean, what a promise. Your son is going to, one of these sons is going to sit on your throne forever. But Micah knows that there's actually a promise that goes even further back, all the way back to ancient times, to the dawn of time, a promise that God made to Adam and Eve just after their rebellion in the garden. A promise that he would send a son who would crush the head of the serpent and put an end to sin and rebellion in God's good world. And it's these promises that Micah is hoping in. He's he's looking forward to the day when this king will come. And brothers and sisters, what Micah saw from a distance, we have seen fully in the face of Jesus Christ. After thousands of years of waiting, God's promises finally came true when Jesus was born in the town of Bethlehem. Born in the line of David to sit on his throne forever. Born in the line of Adam to crush the serpent once and for all. You see, Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. That's why Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 1.20 that in Christ, every promise of God is yes and amen. Every promise God has ever made, every single one of them comes true in Jesus. And it's because of Jesus that we can truly believe the promises of God. See, that's good news today because we need a reason to believe God's promises. Pastor Tim Kane, who's part of the Treasuring Christ Together network that our church is part of, he he says this about God's promises. He says, our biggest problem is not that we don't know the promises of God, but that we struggle to actually believe them. Our problem is not that we don't know the promises of God, And we just need a list of them. Our our problem is that we struggle to actually believe those promises. I mean, let's just be honest. Is it hard for you to believe that God will never leave you or forsake you? Is it hard to believe that God will present you to himself holy and blameless someday? Is it hard to believe that God is working all things for your good? You know, if these promises are easy to believe today, then maybe you don't understand how bad you really are or how good these promises really are. You see, the good news today is that in Christ, in Jesus, we can believe the promises of God. By his virgin birth, by his perfect life, 
by his sacrificial death, by his victorious resurrection, Jesus is the proof that we can actually believe the promises of God. So so here's what I want you to do for me. I want you to take a promise of God. I want you to connect it to Jesus. And I want you to cling to, to believing it. I mean, take the promise that God will never leave us or forsake us. And see that Jesus was forsaken so that that could be true of us. He was forsaken so we never would be. And once you see that, cling now to that promise. Take the promise that God is working all things for our good. And see that Jesus died the most horrific death on the cross for your good. Connected to Jesus and cling to that promise. Brothers and sisters, let's be the kind of people who look to the one born in Bethlehem, but the one who was also crucified on Calvary and see the yes and the amen of every promise of God. Jesus is the king of God's promise. And so let's cling to those promises as we look to him. Notice, secondly, Jesus is the king of God's plan, the king of God's plan. So Micah continues to look to the king. And he sees that it's according to God's great plan. Look at chapter 5, verse 3. He says, Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. Notice Micah has a certain time in mind here. Until the time that God has planned. Remember, Micah is preaching during the divided kingdom of Israel. And he's warning them that God is going to judge their some 400 years of idolatry and injustice. And eventually that's exactly what happens. Assyria destroys the northern kingdom. And then about 130 years later, Babylon comes and destroys the southern kingdom. But this was all according to God's plan. Look back in chapter 4 at verse 11 and 12. This is referencing these kingdoms who have come to destroy Israel. And it says, now many nations are assembled against us, saying, let her be defiled and let our eyes gaze upon Zion. We're going to take Jerusalem. It's going to be ours. Look at verse 12. But they don't know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan. You see, God was using these nations to judge the people and sending them scattered into exile. But the nations were simply pawns in God's great plan. There would come a time when God would gather the people together once again. You see, God has a great plan, not just for the people of Israel, but for all of human history. And Jesus is at the very center of it. Listen to this verse in Galatians 4, verse 4 and 5. It says, when the fullness of time had come, God had a plan and then it was ready. The time had come. God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who, under, who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. You see, Jesus was never plan B for God when it comes to his work in the world. Jesus is the plan. When the fullness of time came, Jesus came just as God planned it. You see, any view of God's work or God's plan in the world that doesn't have Jesus at the center is just wrong. You see, God doesn't have a special plan for America outside of Jesus. We're not God's chosen nation simply because we have a civil religion. America is not 
God's gift to the world. Jesus is God's gift to the world. Jesus is the plan. And those who have faith in him are God's holy and chosen nation. I mean, God doesn't even have a special plan for modern Israel without Jesus. God will not keep his promises to them outside of Jesus. If Israel is going to be good with God, it's going to be because of Jesus. Every Jew in the kingdom of heaven will be there because of Jesus and by faith in Jesus. So we need to be careful not to mix God's plans for Israel and the Bible with modern day politics. I know that Israel is an ally of our country, and that's good. We need allies around the world. But we need to remember that there are Palestinian Christians who are brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to be careful not to think that God is for Israel and against Palestine. Modern geopolitics are not the center of God's plan. Jesus is the center of God's plan. We could keep going. God doesn't have a plan for missions outside of Jesus. God doesn't have a plan for justice outside of Jesus. He doesn't have a plan for our church outside of Jesus. He doesn't have a plan for you outside of Jesus. You've heard it. God loves you and has a plan for your life. Yeah, it's Jesus. Jesus is the plan for your life. It's not comfort. It's not success. God's plan for you is to treasure and to trust Jesus Christ. That's his plan. Notice, though, in verse 3 that Micah compares God's plan to a woman in labor. Now, I've personally never been in labor, uh, but I've been there for four times when my dear wife was. And you can ask any mother in here. It doesn't matter how long the labor was. It doesn't matter how painful the labor was, how hard it was. Once that baby is there in your hands, it was all worth it. It was all worth it. You see, God has a plan for Israel, and that plan involved their suffering. They were going to suffer through destruction of their land, through exile, through being scattered abroad. And you know, God plans our suffering as well. Sometimes it's a father's discipline for our sin. Sometimes it's a a test of our faith. Sometimes it's just that God wants us to grow through it sure there's many of us facing things that we never would have planned for our life. I mean, we would never plan for infertility. We would never plan for loneliness. We would never plan for marriage problems, never plan for heart problems or health problems. We would never plan for addiction in our lives. But take heart today. Because at the center of God's plan for you is not just a God who plans our suffering, but a God who came down and entered into our suffering. Jesus didn't just come to take our suffering away. He came to enter into it. And on the cross, he suffered for us and with us. Jesus is God's greatest good for us, even in suffering. And because of Jesus, we can trust God's plan for us is good, no matter how hard It might be. So brothers and sisters, let's be the kind of people who look to Jesus and see God's plan at work in our lives. His plan to work good for us. Jesus is the king of God's plan. So let's rest in God's good plan as we look to him. Notice thirdly, Jesus is the king of God's protection. 
Look at verse 4 of chapter 5. It says, And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for he shall be great to the ends of the earth. Micah tells us this king will stand as a great shepherd over the flock of God. And that makes sense, right? Because all of God's good leaders have been shepherds. Abraham, Moses, David, they were all shepherds. And it also makes sense because God's people are often described as sheep. Moses saw the people of Israel as sheep without a shepherd. Isaiah says, we've all like sheep gone astray. David even describes himself as a sheep in the beautiful Psalm 23 with the Lord as his shepherd. You see, the coming king is not going to be a military commander. He's not going to be a politician. He's going to be a shepherd. He'll be a pastor for God's people. And when he comes, God's people will dwell secure. They will be fully protected. Notice how Micah describes the protection here. First, he protects his people with strength. The Lord will be the strength of this shepherd as he leads and guides us. Second, he protects his people with the name of the Lord. It says the king will bear the majestic name of Yahweh. That's the the great I am. And he will protect his people. And third, he protects his people by his own greatness. It says they will dwell secure because he will be great to the ends of the earth. You see, Micah says that this shepherd king is coming to protect his people. Period. That's the end. That's what he's going to do. And so it's no wonder why Jesus would stand before the crowds and proclaim that I am the good shepherd. He's the one with the power to save and to protect his sheep. He's the one who bears the name Yahweh, the great I am. That's why he says, I am the good shepherd. And he's the one who shares in the very greatness of the father. Friends, just listen to the words of your good shepherd today. He says this in John 10. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. What a beautiful verse. What amazing protection. There's nothing that can snatch us from the protection of our shepherd king. Paul would say it like this in Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor heights nor depths nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that good news today? There's nothing that can come against us when Christ is our shepherd. That's good news today because we desperately need a shepherd to protect us. You know, I read a story a few weeks ago about 500 sheep who all jumped off of a cliff to their death. The first one jumped off, and all 500 of them just followed suit and jumped right off, and they all end up dying. All those poor mama sheep were just shaking their heads saying, I thought we told them. I thought we taught them not to jump off a cliff, even if their friends were doing it, right? Didn't your mama tell you that? Well, here's the thing. Sheep are not dumb. They just get lost easily. 
They can't defend themselves. They need someone to protect them. We're just the same, aren't we? I mean, we're not dumb. We just get lost easily. We're just not as strong as we think that we are. We need someone to defend us, someone to protect us. And that someone is our shepherd king, Jesus. We need the power of his life to protect us from the darkness of sin. We need the power of his death to protect us from guilt and shame. We need the power of his resurrection to protect us from temptation and sin that so easily entangles us. We need his forgiveness to free us. We need his grace to empower us. We need his fellowship to encourage us. We need his word to guide us. We need his spirit to grow us. We need his church to watch over us. We need King Jesus to protect us. So brothers and sisters, let's be the kind of people who look to Jesus and to his gifts as a shepherd over us. So Jesus is the king of God's protection. Let's trust him as he shepherds us. And then lastly, number four, Jesus is the king of God's peace. So now we've come to one of my favorite sentences in the whole Bible. It's just the first part of verse five. And it says, and he shall be their peace. I mean, when this promised, planned, protecting king comes, he's going to bring peace. I mean, isn't that what everybody wants? Don't we want peace among the nations of the world? Don't we want peace among the ethnicities in our communities? Don't we want peace in our city? Don't we want peace in our families and in our church and in our own hearts? But but notice that Jesus doesn't just give us peace. This verse says he is our peace. Peace, according to the Bible, is not an idea. It's not a treaty between two nations. It's not a policy they pass in Congress. It's not a program they come up with down at City Hall. It's not a state of mind that we get in a self-help book. Peace is a person, and his name is Jesus. If there's going to be any true and lasting peace in this world, it's going to be because of Jesus. That's because only Jesus can give us the peace that we need. I mean, first, Jesus gives us peace with God. I mean, before we think about peace with others or, or having peace in our own hearts, We've got to realize that peace with God is our greatest need. Pastor Brian once said so well in a sermon, you can't have the peace of God without first having peace with God. See, the Bible is clear. On our own, we're enemies of God. Our sin and our idolatry have put us at odds with God. They've made us enemies. And only the work of Jesus can bring us peace with God. Oh, the grace and the mercy and the love. Jesus died to purchase our peace with God. And that means that if you have Jesus, you have peace with God. I wonder if you have Jesus today. Maybe you don't. Maybe you're not a Christian. You've never put your faith in him. Then come to Jesus today and be at peace with God. You are an enemy of God. And the only way for you to be reconciled is through the blood of God. Of Jesus. So come to Christ today. Repent of your sins. Believe in Jesus. And you'll have peace with God today. 
If you've already done that and you do have Jesus, then let this truth put the wind in your sails. You have perfect peace with God. No matter how guilty you feel, no matter how ashamed you may feel, no matter how unworthy you feel, Jesus has purchased your peace with God. Once we were enemies, but now, now we are sons and daughters. Once we were far off, but now we've been brought near. Once we were condemned, but now we're beloved. And it's all because of Jesus. Jesus gives us peace with God. Second, Jesus alone can give us peace with others. You see, the problem of sin is not just a problem between me and God. It's a problem between all of us. Sin has ruined our relationships with one another. Sin is the reason that there's murder in the world. The reason there's racism in the world. The reason there is abuse in the world. Sin is the reason that there's slavery and oppression and injustice in the world. And the only way to have peace with others is through Jesus. There will be no true and lasting peace among us without Jesus. There's going to be no true peace in the Middle East without Jesus. There'll be no peace among blacks and whites without Jesus. There'll be no peace in the Congo without Jesus. No peace in your marriage without Jesus. There won't be any peace in our church without Jesus. Christ himself is our peace. And he alone can give us peace with one another. But notice also that that Jesus can give us peace of heart, peace of mind. Let's just be honest and say that the Christian life is hard. Can we do that today? I mean, let's forget the Christian t-shirts. Let's forget the bumper stickers. Let's forget the Christian pop songs. Let's admit that it's hard to be a Christian. I mean, we can all put on a smile, can't we? I mean, we can act like everything is okay, but whatever it is, I I think we would all admit that, that we feel restless at times, don't we? Aren't we worried at times? Are we anxious? We feel overwhelmed, feel stressed, frustrated, tired. I mean, we can feel lonely, we can feel lost, we can feel burdened, we can feel dead inside. We can struggle with assurance, we can struggle with faith, we can struggle to hope, we can struggle to have peace. That's me sometimes. I'm sure it's you sometimes. Listen to the words of your king who loves you. This is John 14, 27. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Friends, Jesus lived and died and rose again to give us his perfect peace. You see, the same one who was restless hours before his death stood before his brothers just hours after his resurrection and said, peace be with you. The same one who stood before a raging storm and with the word said, peace be still. He stands before our raging hearts and says, peace be still. Jesus came to give rest for our weary souls. He tells us to come to him and we will never thirst again. He says, take heart because he has overcome the world. Brother, are you restless today? 
Come to Jesus and find peace. Sister, are you overwhelmed today? Come to Jesus and find peace. Friends, are you at the end of yourself? Come to Jesus and find peace. Jesus alone can give us peace of heart. So let's be the kind of people who look to Jesus alone to find peace with God, to find peace with others, and to find that peace of heart that surpasses all understanding. Jesus is the king of God's peace, so let's come to him and let's find true peace. Now, I don't know about you, but I want more of King Jesus in my life. I want more of his promises at work in my life. I want more faith, trusting in his plan. I want more of his protection from my own sin and my own selfishness. I want more of his peace in my life. I hope you want more of King Jesus in your life too. I hope that all of us want more of King Jesus in our church and in our city and in our nation and among all the nations of the earth. You see, the good news for us today is that King Jesus is coming again for us. He's the one who can fix all that's wrong in this world. He's the one that can fix all that's wrong in me and all that's wrong in you. He's the one who will one day fulfill every promise of God. He's the one who is one day coming to be the great crescendo of all of God's plan in the world. And he's the one who's coming to finally and fully protect us by remove every sin and every evil thing from this world and from our hearts. And when he comes, he will bring a reign of peace over all of heaven and all of earth that will reign forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, let's pray for more of King Jesus in our lives. And let's long for King Jesus to return. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word today. What an amazing passage in Micah about the greatness of King Jesus. The one who has come to fulfill every promise and who is the yes and amen of every promise. So to God, today, would you help us to not just know your promises, but to actually believe that they're true. Let us look to a Savior who bled and died, who rose from the grave to prove that every word of your promises are true. God, I pray for us that we would trust your plan, God. It's one thing to say, yeah, Jesus is at the center of your plan in the world, but it's so hard when we're suffering to say, yeah, we're trusting that he's at the center of this plan. God, I know many of us are struggling. So would you help us to trust that Jesus is the plan? There's no plan B. You're not going to give up on that plan. You're going to help us to keep trusting and treasuring Christ. God, thank you for the protection that Jesus gives as our shepherd, Lord. I pray that you would help him to protect us from our sin and selfishness, temptation, the dangers of this world. Help him to shepherd us. And we thank you for the peace that Jesus gives. God, if anyone here today does not have peace with you, God, would today be the day of salvation? Today be the day of reconciliation? Would they come to Jesus and be at peace with you, God? 
And for those of us in Christ, help us to rest in that, pre- that peace we have with God. Help us to work hard at peace with one another and help us to rejoice that we can have the peace of God in Jesus that surpasses understanding. Would that peace guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus? And God, as we close, would you help us to see more of King Jesus in our lives? Lord Jesus, would you come so that we may actually see you and see your peace at work in this world? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.